Welcome back to Top Talk. I'm your host, Emily Osan, and I'm here today with IB teachers Donna G, who's teaching IB design, and Michael Stewart, psychology, IB psychology teacher. And we are Hi, here. Hi, everyone. Oh, Hello. yay! <laughs> Hello. Uh, we are here today to talk about title, essay title one Is replicability necessary in the production of knowledge? And we're meant to discuss with any two areas of knowledge that we choose, so we can have a bit of fun with that today. Um, cool, let's get started. So what was it that you guys found interesting or what drew you to this title? Uh, I was drawn to this title actually because in design, the first topic we're looking about just happened to have a really clean uh, split of this question of yes and no. Uh, we're looking at um, designers' strategies for building innovative products a product which is an industrial product that could make a company or a business money. Um, and when we look at those strategies, it's quite interesting because some of them, I would argue, you need to have repeated testing or repeated development of a product for it to, to, be, to, to know that it could be successful or that it could be establishing user knowledge and, and user efficiency. Um, but then the other half argues that maybe it can just happen by chance mm -hmm. um, and that it you can actually achieve an innovation in one instance, mm. um, not necessarily by developing mm. knowledge. Uh, so it was quite interesting when teach like when um, preparing that information and thinking, oh well sometimes you just have active insight where your previous knowledge gained can have a eureka moment and you just mm. come upon an innovative product or sometimes you could be looking for one thing and by chance create something else mm. um, so that's one side of the argument but then another side is that no you need to be repeating practicing mm. developing over and over and getting the users in to test the product and and doing mm. a lot of that kind of um, replacement repeating mm. uh, in order to get to a product that is successful yeah that's interesting because on one hand, it does seem like there's a yes-no divide, but I actually see uh, the first one, the mm. first examples in discussion you're giving as still also a yes, it is necessary, <laughs> but it just doesn't look like replicability. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. maybe it's um, because it's building on things that have been tried and tested and so on in the past that it looks like a eureka moment, mm, mm, that mm. it's just come out of nowhere, but it's really standing on those, like... Um, trials of the past as well. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Michael? Um, I, I think I was drawn to this because of um, something called the replication crisis that's been happening for mm. about a little over a decade now. And it's, I am a psychology teacher, and psychology is one of the disciplines that's really been sort of smacked, you know, smacked down because of failure to replicate mm. a lot of studies, particularly in certain areas of uh, social psychology, but also in neuroscience and you know quite a few fields. Mm. Um, so that that was the initial mm. draw for me, um, and I guess all in a more in a in a wider sense because the replication crisis is sort of spreading, right? Um, what does that mean, replication? Okay. Crisis? Oh, maybe I should. I'm sorry if I. So basically, around 2010, mm. starting I think starting in psychology, but then quickly moving to other fields like medicine and economics and a bunch of others. Um, people started these projects to test the replicability of well-known published studies, mm. right? And so they would take, you know, in one in one particular, I'm trying to remember the numbers, but in one uh, particular project in psychology, they took a hundred um, studies published in well-regarded 
peer-reviewed journals, mm. and they were only able to replicate the findings in 39 of them, I think wow. was the number. So, and, and you know, me- medicine, as I said, is another field that's been really hit by this, but it's, it's kind of spreading all over. Yeah. So even, even in places where you wouldn't expect it, like chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, and there's, there's, it's turning up. So is it, is it essentially like debunking? Um, in part, right, because some of the, one of the reasons why replication doesn't happen is because of a really bad conceptual um, framework to begin with, oh. right? So if someone has this particular I- idea they're bent on, they're looking to confirm their hypotheses, so they mm. might be messing around with um, their statistics and things like that. Sometimes mm. there's unscrupulous research involved. Mm. Um, sometimes it's unintentional. Um, but it, c- it can be debunking. It can be just that, you know, there are different ways of looking at data, and people uh, with the best intentions can come up with very different um, findings. Yeah, interesting. I, I think we have that a lot in design through the user trial and user testing scenarios as well, um, mm. and where designers will try to use a use case where they set up a, s- a scenario based on a imaginary person mm. like either like a primary user or someone right. who doesn't use a product but they want to incorporate into using a product mm. um, and then they're creating what are called like um, like a stereotype so population stereotypes mm. um, which can then which like maybe fits no one exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um, and then they're you know they're testing that over and over with their different case study groups but yeah. um, not able to show common findings mm. or maybe manipulating sometimes to get a common finding that they are biased that to they want to find yeah kind of like looking to confirm <laughs> Um, Let's just step back one Mm. moment, though, and just talk about the word replicability. Google definition is that it can be reproduced and imitated exactly or recreated. And and I kind of thought like recreated in controlled circumstances really applies to both design and psychology. But the the role of uh, replicability is that it adds some sort of validity. If it can be reproduced, we can then deduce that it's probably true. Mm. Whereas if it can't be reproduced, we have to question the, the results or the findings, right? So it gives us evidence, it lends accuracy, it creates some sense of like truthfulness. So thinking about that, the question is, is it necessary in the production of knowledge? So in order for knowledge to be produced, is it necessary? And, and I kind of question that in regards to like psychology, because some things really can't be replicated or like cultural anthropology or things mm. that are you can't yeah. reproduce it you just right. have to take that what you have yeah. and try to draw something does not does that make that knowledge less um, accurate or valid mm. to go back to the, the title itself mm-hmm. you know I think to me if I was a student you know looking at this I, I would say well I don't think it is necessary in the production of knowledge unless it's a an AOK that has experimental research mm. at its foundation. Yeah. If it's not experimental, right, like say history, there's no such thing as replication in history because there are no time machines and yeah. you know, things like that, right? Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. matter, there's a different I w- standard. Right? I wonder though, I'll let you come back to sure. your thought, I don't mean to interrupt you too yeah. much, but, but like something like history or arts where mm. replicability may not be like, you know, that's not a necessary component mm. in the production of knowledge, but we stretch that word a little replicability in history perhaps might mean different historians looking at the same pieces of information and coming to a similar conclusion. Like cycles almost? I don't know. I mean, I I was thinking of, 
what do you mean by cycles? Like uh, like seeing it like repeat and come around oh. and, and then judging that cycle over the time of history. I, I was thinking that like you, me, independent sources would mm-hmm. look at the same like uh, stories, mm-hmm. all the different artifacts, the different, um, you know, all the different sources they might have from history and come to an, a, a similar kind of conclusion and that maybe it's not exactly the same but that the similarities would be that replicated would that be like looking at the different ages and seeing that that a form which was maybe produced in a different element that was sharp and pointy that we can then assume or Mm. make an assumption through that repeated form that they were tools Mm. in their different cultures yeah, is that maybe. what you mean? I'm, I was thinking like triangulation of data. Like yeah. three different people look at it and three different from three different cultural frameworks and they come mm. to some kind of consensus. I kind of like that. I think of it even with, and I'm not an expert in any way of when they're doing the, the digging and the in archaeology and, you know, do experts talk across geographic regions about, mm-hmm. you know, when they dig up and they find, you know, like a layout yeah. of a structure that they can then through it happening in other geographic locations, yeah. make assumptions about what that yeah, was. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this. So it's not replicability in the sense of a yeah. time machine and repeating the exact same thing, yeah. but it's replication of the finding. I think. The, I, I think, don't know. So replication, in a kind of strict sense, I yeah. guess, is about if you follow this same experimental procedure, will you get the same result? And right. there's actually different variations of it, of, of what replication can mean. But what we're talking about now is, I think, generally referred to as reproducibility Mm. in terms of data analysis, Mm -hmm. which is an important part of what's happening with the replication crisis because Mm -hmm. there's just so many ways to statistically analyze the same data set. So I think absolutely that would apply to a historian or cultural anthropologist or Mm. an archaeologist. Given the same data, what's the what's the conclusion yeah. they draw? And you're going to see the same. I don't think that's been tested out yet, but I, I'm sure yeah. it'll happen, right? Mm. Especially in a field like archaeology, because now that we see the replication crisis hitting the natural sciences, now it's going to be it's going to open up questions about every field mm. that involves data analysis, right? Mm. And there are just real problems with it. Like mm-hmm. there's this whole phenomenon called p hacking, mm. right? So p-values are the probability levels um, in a study and uh, you know generally in most fields now it's uh, 0.05 so 5% um, so if you ran 100 studies it's likely that 5% of them are going to give you a false uh, mm-hmm. false positive mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ways to manipulate data right um, by you know setting different parameters and degrees of freedom and there's all these like a technical things that I won't pretend that to know all about um, I know a little bit but there are just ways to you know either do it accidentally yeah. right you p hack or you actually say I really want to confirm my hypothesis and I guess one of the important things about that is that um, an important problem that that is happening is that there's this thing called publication bias right mm. so journals want to publish things that show results mm. right they don't want to publish uh, you know, a failed replication. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not. It's not. It's not very interesting to yeah. read. Exactly. So, so that didn't work. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Could you imagine just turning? The How many page? times you get reprinted on that? No, probably not yeah. many times. Well, this didn't work. Oh, that didn't work. Yeah, they've actually tested it out, and they've shown like you know less than ten percent of journals in Amazing. particular fields will yeah. even will even agree to publish a, yeah. a replication. Right? Yeah. So they actually have, some of them have rules like we just don't do you know uh, replication studies, which yeah. is kind of crazy because. It is part of, yeah. you know. So in the natural sciences and human sciences, especially in experimental fields, yeah. it's definitely necessary. 
What? So why is it so necessary, would you well, say? If, you, if you're trying to make a generalization about a particular population, mm -hmm. right? whether it's a population of insects or people or, you know, molecules or whatever mm -hmm. it might be, maybe that's not the right word, but, you know, if it only applies at that particular time and place, it's of limited value, arguably, mm. right? Um, now, sometimes you want it to be that way. Like sometimes, as you said before, in cultural anthropology, you're, you're doing a case study maybe of yeah. a particular group, and you're not interested in generalizing the findings. Yeah. Um, but whenever you're interested in generalizing, that's where replication is totally Oh, necessary. interesting. So that, like, um, separation, like if it's something that we're trying to generalize, right. that's where it becomes really necessary. That's quite a nice answer. I mean, I was, like, thinking about... Because something... Some knowledge is really only valuable for a certain moment mm. or a we see that a lot in technology yeah within the design field How right so? like so technology changing and it, we use the term technology push when a new technology is what's driving the new product as opposed to what the market like what users might want yeah um and then that technology pushes into all of the products and also almost makes the previous versions obsolete they're yeah. no longer useful uh but it also provides knowledge across a sector mm -hmm. so that instead of so that companies can have sensible break even points with how much money they're bringing into their company mm. because if every company in a field or in a sector are having to do the research and development from bottom level up mm -hmm. uh, for every technology they come up with they're not going to be financially stable mm -hmm. as a company and and they'll be the pioneer company that will be successful and everybody else will have to basically shelf their technology because somebody finds it out does it better maybe that is through replicability mm. as well because their company has established a practice that's done these sort mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. technology manufacture developments over and over and over to get the expertise and the knowledge mm. um, but instead so that you know that pioneer or that technology can be pushed across to many platforms mm. uh, so that not everybody is having to invest such yeah. big quantities of money uh, yeah. to coming up with new technologies. Mm. Design is an interesting um, field because it overlaps so many other disciplines. It's not really its own, like psychology clearly fits within the human sciences, right? Yeah. So design sometimes fits within human science in terms of like psychology of design. Oh, definitely. Um, other times it fits within the arts, arts. in terms of aesthetics. Visual, visual and, communication. And then other times it mm. fits within like chemistry or True. physics. With, yeah, we were know, just talking about a few uh, innovations or they split between being an invention or an innovation and yeah. products which, uh, which by technical field, maybe the innovator was an engineer or a chemical scientist. Uh -huh. So the inventor of Teflon, uh -huh. the non-stick surface on the frying pan, yeah. was actually trying to work with chemical, like chemistry equations of plastics, um, and then found this new plastic that they thought was gonna be very hard wearing, that through repeated um, bending, it would never reach a breaking point. Mm. Um, and that actually failed, but in that, they found they couldn't join it to <laughs> anything. Everything would fall off or like not be able to stick to it. Um, and so that then helped them to, by yeah. chance, develop uh, a really successful, innovative product. And that's really uh, cool. But it, it needed a chemistry specialist to be able to even work with, like, with or out of the, the natural constructs of chemical equations yeah. that already exist. I'm just, like, now working backwards with <laughs> yeah. the title, like... That had nothing to do with replicability. <laughs> no. And they were able to produce this, like, completely new compound. Yeah. Um, 
and I so there's a little bit of a, a confusion sometimes when we're talking about production of knowledge um, and producing like within the arts producing an artwork or within design producing a product um, because it's easier with psychology it's like when we have a study we know we produce knowledge about the human mind or about mm. like behavior or whatever it might be whereas design and art um it's, often it's like a product but what <laughs> knowledge does that yeah what well goes it's, with that? it's multidisciplinary isn't yeah. it so yeah. it could be that the manufacturer is getting knowledge and they're building knowledge on their process yep. through having to make a product that mm. the designer has given them or the designer's learning knowledge about what can be done in a in the sense of manufacture, like in, in plastic injection molding, there's, uh -huh. there's limitations. So there's knowledge about the chemicals or the yeah, processes yeah. and so on. Really similar to like the arts. Like there's on one hand, like you have knowledge that's produced that is about how to create or what, you know. And on the other hand, it's also some kind of interpretive knowledge like so some meaning that's therefore conveyed as well um on the poster that i made for this i put um um what's his name Maurizio catalan's the comedian it's a banana that's been taped to the wall <laughs> yeah. and i chose that one because um it is like the obviously most unreproducible unre piece of artwork like you're, the banana's gonna decay mm. and like and actually when you boil it down it's like who cares if it was that banana or that? Yeah, that, it's uh, like Banksy's it, paper so, shredder so as well, So hang right? on, this sold for $125,000, the original. Yeah. And then it, it went up more and more every time it sells. But the thing that's funny is that you're not actually buying a banana or duct tape. You're buying a certificate that says you've bought the artwork <laughs> yeah. and that you then can reproduce it. And so it kind of made me think about like, well, what is the role of replication and replicability in the arts? And it's like, you know, Andy Warhol's famous for like his silkscreen prints in his workshop where he's just like reproducing replicating his own work for like the masses um and it like you know it's also tricky with the arts because it's like that equals money eventually mm -hmm. so that's the role of rec replication in the arts it's like so the artist can get rich or the the museum or the, the the galleries can can earn some money there but that's not really the main role right mm -hmm. um and then i also think about like in the arts sorry going off on a bit of a tangent here on the arts but there's also um, the role of like studying an artist or studying mm. an artwork where you're like, I need to, um, in order for myself to produce knowledge about how Monet painted, I need to practice using his paints, yeah. the exact pigments and the exact, light, you know, mm. try to replicate it as closely as possible so that I as an artist have that knowledge. And I think that is... Um, absolutely necessary not all art teachers think that mm. um, but i think it has a really fundamental place in understanding another artist's work yeah 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 so yeah yeah we can i guess that's how the designers would use the design cycle so mm -hmm. maybe we're not necessarily uh replicating the specific product mm -hmm. that we're wanting to be, be able to analyze but we're re replicating the process yeah how many times do you say okay recreate this you know cup or like a box, like design a better one. Exactly. First design so, this and then... Well, I mean, uh, Sir James Dyson, who I always talk about, uh -huh, he, uh -huh. you know, he will go through 800 prototypes before yeah. getting to a final product. Yeah. Uh, and he will not yeah. care if 849 Is of them the fail. Is that the same thing? Like replication and like prototyping? And... I mean, in a sense, that makes 
it's it's knowledge finding for the model maker. Yeah, uh, it depends what level the de- designer is going to, because there's also the many di- divergent paths you can go to. Yeah, so you yeah. can take those prototypes and work with the client mm-hmm. or with the user groups yeah. um, to get knowledge and feedback about how would somebody use this. Are you having a bias in how you're creating a yeah. design and product, thinking about how somebody wants to use it? See, and here again, now we're in the psychology of it, right? Mm, exactly. It's like yeah. the psychology of design. Can you give that to a user and mm. in a different setting, in multiple settings, and get the same or similar or better? Yeah. Results? So we use testing houses in design too. So mm-hmm. we, or well, there's many different scenarios. You might do a field trial where you're in the environment where the product would be usually be used, mm. or you set up um, a a testing house which looks exactly like ikea is a pretty good example of a testing house because you can go in and sit in a sofa it's not actually in a house but it has been set up to feel like a house (laughs) some people treat it so much so that in hong kong yeah people i think feel like it's their home away from home sometimes (laughs) it sounds to me like you know with design it's actually you know replication in a particular sense of that term is built into it it has Mm -hmm. to be right Uh, at least in terms of successful design yeah yeah I guess the problem with other fields is that it's not built into it necessarily, yeah. right? Um, Emily, in terms of what you were talking about, the production of knowledge and the arts, mm-hmm. I, that, that kind of got me thinking about from, from a student's viewpoint, because a lot of students will be drawn to, um, to pick the arts as mm-hmm. one of their AOKs for, yeah. for this question and, and others. Mm-hmm. I think they really need to be careful mm-hmm. for the reasons that you were talking about, yeah. because what does it actually mean to produce knowledge mm-hmm. um, in, in the arts? And that's something that, you know, as someone who's taught TOK before, I remember reading lots of papers where yeah. students would stumble on that. Yeah. They have really cool um, examples to work through, yeah. um, but they wouldn't be able to nail down that one question. What yeah, does it what mean to produce knowledge? Produce knowledge? Yeah. It's so much mm. easier to answer, say, in the human sciences. If we're trying to produce knowledge about human behavior. Yeah, yeah. I mean, students still have to s- state that explicitly, yeah. but in the arts it gets tricky. So I would advise students... Um, to, to be careful yeah about yeah I am I'm definitely like uh, aware of that as well and we've had a lot of lessons especially with grade 11 and grade 12 like throughout the course where we do talk about that um, and we talk about the role of interpretation mm. of the arts because that's where the knowledge comes in on the side of the audience it's like mm. what meaning you draw from it from an mm. um, and I also on that same like mm. danger zone with the arts is everything is a good interpretation well it's not mm-hmm. like just because you think it means that doesn't mean it means that <laughs> and so you know there are good and bad interpretations and mm-hmm. um, and that also is is a you know a slippery slope with the arts too it would have been much easier like maybe a hundred years ago yeah before like postmodernism and everything yes. kind of kicked in because now it's like well things can mean whatever you want yeah the, the, the author's intention is unimportant the world has convinced yeah. us of that but it's i don't buy it yeah i don't buy it either. i don't um, buy it at all i think yeah there are good interpretations and of there are like really bad ones, right? yeah. yeah um they, I wanted, oh, oh sorry. sorry i was just going to link to that one the author specifically you know the, the fight club film which mm. they changed the the ending and then yeah, there was an uproar because all right. of the chuck Palant's Palanuk fans were like, how could you change the ending? And then the author came out and said, actually, the new version is closer to what I was intending intending in my original oh, really? film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in my original book, sorry. But it's so book, funny, sorry, and then we take so. that as like, okay, the author meant it, therefore it's true. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. sorry, you didn't write that in the book, so no, it's not true. <laughs> I love it. So like, anyways, um, Coming back to what you said, it's built into certain fields and not built into others. I always, it made me think about like all the different studies that are 
now coming and being retracted and the problem how they're you know we still believe in ideas that were developed from studies that are now out you know outdated um, um there's i mean it kind of depends on what you want your let's say your area of knowledge to, to be able to do mm. right so if you are in the human sciences and you want to be able to you know we're talking about generalizations you mm -hmm. want to be able to generalize about human behavior all humans universal we are, we are mm. all like x this or we're a, like y yeah. you're going to run into trouble because there's so many variables right um but if you can accept that we are we're changing creatures right mm -hmm. both individually and as cultures and, and through historical periods then that can help you know help you understand that you know it's, it's not always about finding universals mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um, so there was a you know an example that a student could use in a, in a paper um, would be Solomon Ash's conformity studies back yeah. in the 50s so he ran all these experiments um, in which he would you know have someone come into a room they think they're with a bunch of other participants they're actually actors mm. and they have to um, estimate uh, line lengths and you know say does a match line C or is B the better match and the other people in the room are instructed to eventually to start lying uh. to see if the real participant will conform. Right? Mm. And Ash found these like very high rates of conformity. Mm -hmm. But then again, it was the 1950s in America on a college campus, right? Yeah. <laughs> so replications later didn't show that at all. Mm. By the 80s and 90s, people are re resisting the tendency to conform. And now a lot of people know about Ash's studies because they take psychology classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they know, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to be the one to conform. Right. So just because we can't replicate Ash doesn't mean it's not a useful bit of knowledge. It yeah. tells us something about the 1950s. Mm. Okay. And it tells us, it gives us a wider picture of mm. changing human behavior so mm -hmm. again if you're looking for universals that are always 100% true for all people all the time mm. in the human sciences you're going to be disappointed yeah. for natural sciences I think it's a different story yeah. you, know, you, uh, okay. you expect chemicals to behave the same way under the same uh, conditions yeah, yeah, no matter okay. if it's now or 1950 or mm. 2000 whatever you or know? It's on the that's so or it's interesting because yeah. it, it almost like I can piece that and I can take mm. the, the um, consistency of chemicals into like manufacture mm -hmm. and then the inconsistency of user study yeah. knowledge into when I do my user-centered design and yeah. I'm observing people using products it's mm. super interesting to think of the sciences in those two ways and in those yeah. levels of consistency I mean what you're saying uh, going back to the ash conformity study there's all those studies that were done in like the 50s 60s 70s we've re-examined them We've actually found that they're really not very accurate. There's mm. not a lot of like truth to what their findings are mm. that are generalizable to the whole population. Yeah. But there's still some kind of like, I don't know, magic that it holds over us that we want to continue to believe those things that were mm. that came out of those studies. Right. I don't know what that is. Why is that? I don't, I don't know. Um, it I seems. Mean, it's, it's, I think with Stanford, Stanford Prison, you know people find out about it often in high school or yeah. when they take a psych course in university. And it's just so fascinating, right? Yeah. All these, you know, suburban middle class kids um, brought into this study and all of a sudden they start acting like tyrants or yeah. they get, they're so depressed they have to drop out, you know, yeah. within 36 hours or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when they try to reproduce Stanford Prison, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And they essentially can't because it's, it's yeah. too unethical. Um, There's something about findings from about psychology that stay with us and we want to continue to believe even mm. after they've been debunked. Yeah. Um, well, is that where you would break up the term knowledge? as well. Mm. You know, like we'll But find is that where you would break up the term knowledge in the question? Because some knowledge is not necessarily good knowledge. I don't know about if you would just break up the term knowledge. We kind of want to have knowledge mean 
wanting knowledge. Thing. Okay, you don't cool. Like under, Just checking. Yeah. Under my, I mean, it generally means things that we agree upon to be true and cool. are believed, and they have good reasons for be, being believed, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a you know, surface level definition you can work with. And there's all kinds of different knowledge. There's like the, you know, experiential knowledge, yeah. personal knowledge. There's like knowledge gained through the senses, empirical knowledge. There's knowledge by reasoning and so on. But either way, there's not really something that you would say if it's, if it's no longer true and you know that, then you need to cast it aside. Essentially, yeah. we, as like, as a, as a population, if we find that, you know, the ash conformity studies is not generalizable. The knowledge that was produced is not true. Mm. We should not continue to repeat that. It's and important though, yeah, right? And do. I don't know it's how like much that is done. Culture. We just continue to <laughs> yeah. perpetuate myths. Especially in nutrition, which you were just about to talk about. Yeah, I, was, I feel I was, like that is the, the, the myth and the rep- yeah. replicability of it yeah. makes us think that it is like empirical knowledge or yeah, knowledge yeah, that we yeah. should be using and, right. and acting upon. And we get into a bit of a dangerous world thinking about how ideas and new knowledge move so quickly uh, and things get debunked or removed and yet not everyone can find out about it. Like, And then the sharing of information becomes so messy that it becomes difficult to sift through what's true and what's not true. What Donna just mentioned mm-hmm. about nutrition, that's actually really relevant to this replication crisis mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of the, the best examples of failure to replicate or p-hacking or other kind of statistical messing around come come from the field of nutrition right so one of, one of the best examples is a few years back um, some studies showed that um, chocolate eating chocolate oh, yeah. um, lowered cancer rates mm-hmm. things like that but it was just because they drew a bunch of false positives because again every time if your if your p-value is 0.05 you're always going to get a certain number of studies that will show a fake um, mm. a fake result essentially yeah. Yeah. and those are the ones that get published yeah. not the 95 others that fail to find any link at all right well, yeah. and we really want to love chocolate like, we yeah. want chocolate to be good <laughs> yeah. same with wine yeah. I coffee mean, was yeah. there a study coffee, about coffee is that true or not I really want to know if that's it, true it's not come <laughs> on there's got it like we can't have all the good things be good for us too that's it's an just... excellent point like you, you have to stand back also and say why are these things always at the forefront of yeah. our mm-hmm. We're always looking for coffee, chocolate, alcohol, we, you know, all these things. Yeah. That, and it's like, it's such a kind of narrow, yeah. uh, it narrows the field really in a way, right? So it's like, hmm, maybe we need to rethink that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if all the things that I like are good for me, then my life is happy and can continue <laughs> to buy and buy mm. and do and do. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, puts money in someone else's pocket, doesn't it? I think that's that's it. That's the that's the bottom line. It does come down to the bottom line with a lot of these studies is mm. that they want it to be because it has a financial reward at the end if the study finds. And a lot of the findings are from if you look at the studies, a lot of the studies are backed by companies yeah. that well, they can boost have the a economy. stake in the outcome yeah. too. So yeah. um, well, they need the funding to run so, the test too, don't they? But like you it know, does. If, if we take it as a long-term scale and not like a short-term scale, like yeah. short-term replicability of the chocolate study found, da 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 da, da. Mm. chocolate is amazing, it saves your <laughs> life, grows new arms, all these yeah. things. Um, but if you then take it a long-term study, 50 years, mm-hmm. 100 mm-hmm. years, can they continue to reproduce that? Does that hold true across all cultures and all times? Well, actually, it turns out, no, it doesn't. It, doesn't. it just kind of elevates your endorphins and it makes you feel good so yeah. you should have it if you like it but don't worry about it if you don't yeah, yeah. so it's, it's called regression to the mean right yeah so 
those studies that show, for, you know, like, you know, chocolate fights cancer, the problem is that, again, you know, they just haven't been replicated enough, yeah. mm. right? So if they continue to replicate that study 100, 200, 300 more times, the basic, you know, model of the study, yeah. everything's going to regress to the mean and you're going to show yeah. no result. Right? And so we need it. It's mm. absolutely necessary in that sense, like for these kinds of places. Yeah. All right, well, with that, let's... Um, kind of now hungry yeah i really want a chocolate about coffee and chocolate and i'm now I'm it's like, like the a, ash test i want to go get like a, are you a actors mocha. that are like working for the school cafe i want to go get like a cafe mocha and oh, like a chocolate that croissant sounds fantastic. are you buying are you buying save my cancer <laughs> save myself from getting cancer all right, you guys, thank you for taking the time out of your day. I appreciate Thanks. it very much. Thanks for having yeah. us. Nice chatting with you, Michael. Yeah, you as well. Emily.